attention. Spoiler alert. You will listen or be exterminated. Doctor Who and the Daleks will be dissected. Plot revelations are inevitable. Continue at your own risk. Obey. This is Diabolical, the comedy podcast where four long-suffering friends dissect films most dastardly schemes, then compete to improve them. I'm your host, the best, the best, the best, and this week's movie is Doctor Who and the Daleks. So, Peril Pals, disguise your vehicle as a 1950s police box. Do not say exterminate even once, because it's Thursday, you know what that means. Let's get diabolical! And welcome to this week's pod and the first episode of season five, wherein my three friends and I comprise the panel of peril who will compete to see who can improve the villainous plan of the week the best to earn points for our new leaderboard in the show's competitive round. But first, if you would introduce yourselves and tell me what your favourite type of doctor is. Let's begin with season one's winner, Ben. Hi, Ben here. And my favourite kind of doctor is a mad scientist. You know, the ones that experiment with things beyond their control. Your Dr. Jekylls, your Doc Emmett Browns, even, to a certain extent, Dr. Peter Venkman. I think they're always good for a laugh. Mad scientists, aren't they? Oh, definitely. Definitely. A lot of mileage out of them on film. Let's move on to season two's winner, Craig. It's funny you should bring up Pete Venkman. Because my favourite type of doctor is a doctor of parapsychology and psychology. Ah. Just what are you a doctor of? <laughs> <laughs> Let's next have the winner of season three. It's Adam. Hello. The artist formerly known as Cinemaster here, Adam. And my favourite doctor is, of course, the best doctor, which is a paediatrician because they look after kids. And let's be honest, kids are our future and we are their past. Yeah, and we got history's most heroic paediatrician, Doug Ross, on ER, who saved mm. some kids from, like, floods and stuff. Good stuff. Didn't you used to keep a, a scrapbook of him? You used to call it your paedophile. <laughs> oh. Didn't you used to keep a scrapbook of him? I still keep a scrapbook of him. Keep up with what he's up to now. <laughs> What's your favourite type of doctor, the best, the best, the best? Well, funny you should ask. My favourite type of doctor is a witch doctor because mm. you've got, if you got, you got Baron Summerday in Living mm. Let Die, Baron Summerday in Atmosphere, the board game, Baron Summerday in Dead by Daylight, the video game, 
and you've got Papa Shango, the WWF wrestler. Yeah, GoldenEye <laughs> as well. Don't forget Baron Samadine, the video game GoldenEye. The video game, yeah. Wasn't Baron Samadhi a Baron, famously? Specifically the Baron of Samadhi. Can you be a witch doctor and a Baron? Dr. Baron Samadhi. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who and the Daleks was released in 1965, a silver screen version of the BBC show still under the auspices of debut Doctor William Hartnell. Purchasing the film rights from the BBC, famed production company Amicus made the film for a svelte £180,000 budget, and it was shot over a svelte six-week schedule at Shepperton Studios. Casting names such as hammer horror icon Peter Cushing as Doctor Who, and future record-breaker Roy Castle as Ian Chesterton, the producer's ambitions certainly couldn't be faulted. Choosing the iconic Daleks as the antagonists for both this and the follow-up movie, the film takes us to the planet Scaro, where a nuclear war between the fascist Pepper Potts and the golden-skinned Thal has devastated the planet, leaving resources scarce for both sides. Despite the ambition, the film had mixed reviews then and now, with Halliwell's Film Guide describing it as limply put together and only for indulgent children. It would be the 20th biggest British moneymaker of 1965, however, which I suppose must be... good? In any case, what did the panel think of this week's film? And let's go with Craig first. Well, I'd describe Halliwell's as limply put together and only for children. <laughs> Zingdom. Absolutely Zingdom. Take that! <laughs> However, as a fan of the television series Doctor Who, and to a lesser extent the film series Doctor Who, I've got to say, these films are not as good as the TV series. They don't deliver on the concept as well. So I've very recently watched the serial version with William Hartnell of the story that this is adapted from. It's still like a shoddy 60s TV series, but it's superior to this in, in every way. I think I remember the sequel to this being a lot better, and I think that was true of the sequel story as well. I believe the Daleks don't say exterminate until Patrick Troughton's era. Huh. That's why they don't say it in the, in the movie. Well, I never. There's some stuff I really love about the movie. I love the different coloured Daleks. Obviously, the TV show was still in black and white. I think Peter Cushing does a good job of capturing that kind of impish energy that Hartnell had. But they make some bizarre choices in this. The relationships between the characters completely change the dynamics between them. The purpose of being in the series is that the Doctor and, and Hartnell, so particularly Hartnell, was an old man. At the time he was anyway, you know, people were older than they went through the war, didn't they? Uh, he was actually younger than... Peter Capaldi was when he played the Doctor. But oh, really? Hmm. Ian Chesterton was like a man of action. He and, and Barbara were school teachers of Susan, who was much older in the show. And they're kind of constantly in conflict with the Doctor. He's a manipulative little shit, and he wants to go and visit the city. So he does the same trick with the fluid link. But in the series, it's much more like a, a point of conflict. And Ian and Barbara are not happy about it at all. And then in the movie, you get, much as I love Roy Castle, he's just playing Stan Laurel, you know, kind of pratfalling around, scratching his head, having a funny little voice. 
And he's just so meek that he seems really superfluous to me. <laughs> Doctor Who, as he's called in the, in the film, seems like enough of a dashing hero to, to get away with all this on his own. So, yeah, I just queried some of the choices in it. I'm surprised it had that meager or that svelte <laughs> budget, though, because, uh, you know, it looks decent. It's got nice lighting and, you know, the TARDIS prop is really good considering they couldn't reuse the TV one. Looks solid. Yeah, and the Daleks look great. Some of the other stuff doesn't hold up quite so well. But all in all, I thought it was okay. Okay, you say. Okay. Mm. Well, I'm not okay. We'll head on over to Ben because he's pulling some very disapproving faces. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to say that the 81st film we've watched as part of this podcast has set a new low watermark for me. <laughs> Oof. Jesus. Curse you for making me watch it. My <laughs> goodness, it was poor. The plot, the set design, the Daleks, oh, who in fact should oh. just be called exposition bots. Ridiculous. <laughs> Every time they came on, I knew I had to like brace myself for a long-winded explanation delivered staccato. In a stilted voice. Oh, it was painful. Every freaking scene. <laughs> but worst of all was Peter Cushing, which I was surprised about. Hmm. His actoring was ridiculous. Actoring. Even Looney Tunes characters are more subtle than that. Yeah. <laughs> With his hunch and his, oh my God, some of his gestures. Oh man. Yeah, there wasn't much I could enjoy, even ironically. So it gets, <laughs> I'd sooner visit a gorilla-fingered proctologist than spend any more time in the company of Doctor Who out of five. <laughs> Oof. Jeez. Painful. Literally and metaphorically painful. And let's see how painful or otherwise Adam found this week's film. Well, I'll first say it hasn't aged very well. It probably hadn't aged very well by the 70s, but that's by the by. It's for me, I yeah, I enjoy watching it. Doctor Who for me was a gateway into sci-fi and it was always cheaply made, even the TV series. But the TV series, like Craig said, definitely there's a lot more tension, I think. Yeah. Some of the bad guys like we'll see later with the Daleks, they've got a lot more menace in the TV series and the, the, the way they stretch it out over those series. So this film, really, it didn't portray uh, the Daleks very well, but obviously they hadn't entered their full arch-nemesis phase of Doctor Who yet. But saying that, yeah, mm. I thought there was some really great bits. I did actually enjoy some of the set design as well. I liked some of the mountainous features of it. Like Craig said, the Daleks are absolutely stunning. Mm, the red one yeah the red one you want that in your porch don't you so yeah. <laughs> there's loads of little things you know like lava lamps for props and stuff like that very futuristic <laughs> yeah it's it's all that kind of stuff and I, I like it and i'd agree with ben about peter cushion i think this is probably a low watermark for him really if you were to say to somebody that's peter cushion and then you, most people it hard pressed to recognize him from just his appearance let alone his acting you know He's unrecognisable and he throws himself into this like parody sort of character in a way. Mm. I actually like Roy Castle. I thought he was, he threw himself into the role pretty much. The cut was the comic relief all the way through. And he actually turned the duller bits of the movie a little more interesting and sometimes unintentionally funny as well. He does what he's doing really well. I just, just yeah. questioned the, the choice of making Ian the comic relief because he's really not that in the show. No, that's it. I I, I just wondered. I just thought it was, it's a bit of a odd choice, but it's one of those things where you just go, this is not working, but I'm quite enjoying it <laughs> in the same time. It's weird. Yeah. But I, I've got a lot of fondness for Doctor Who from my childhood. I've not kept up with it at all. But 
like I say, it, it was a gateway for me into the greater realm of sci-fi. Yeah. It's the Doctor as a character hadn't really been fleshed out at that point. And what you'd seen of Hartnell on TV was pretty... Uh, it started off quite aggressive and people found it quite prickly and it, it softened yeah. over time. And I think maybe they instinctively knew that when they were adapting it for the film and they softened him a bit too much. <laughs> That's what happened. It totally was. They just wanted to bash out a film and just go, right, here yeah. it is. Stick the Doctor Who name on it and that would be enough. Exactly, yeah. When did the iconic theme tune get added? Oh, the theme tunes from the outset on the TV mm. show. Yeah. I think it's BBC owns all that, doesn't it? So I was expecting that theme tune, and when it didn't yeah. come, I thought, well, this is going to be shit. And I was right. Yeah. Weird little fucking Ron Burgundy wood flute number. Yeah. yeah it was awful. <laughs> it was kind of cool. It was like it weird psychedelic shit. I like it. Suitably 60s. Completely forgettable and not iconic in any way. Yeah. Maybe if the, the actual opening credits were a bit snazzier. You could forgive it a bit more, but the fact that they're just yeah, particularly boring kaleidoscope <laughs> does it no favors. Yeah, it's weird as well because right from the get go, yeah, the the first ever episode of of Doctor Who has that Ron Grainer Delia Derbyshire theme, and it also has the time vortex, which on a show with no budget was achieved accidentally by pointing a camera down its own monitor, and it made mm. that wow. How the fuck could they watch that and not think, let's try and use our budget to recreate that in stunning Technicolor? I really don't know. Sometimes I think TV can be more innovative than, than film yeah. a lot of times. They're working to stricter budgets uh, and, and yeah. timeframes and stuff like that. And I think that's where innovation of the filmmakers comes through. You're totally right, yeah. I agree with that. Well, I'm excited to see how the best, the best, the best enjoyed it because i know he paid quite a lot of money for the special edition dvd mm, yeah. well, some might say that i paid far over the odds for this particular film <laughs> but what i would say is it's quite a snazzy steel box with some rather nice pop artwork on the cover i'd like to see a picture of gaz in oh sorry you svelte gentleman the best of best of best <laughs> i'd like to see a picture of the best of best of best holding the dvd and the receipt and crying. <laughs> <laughs> Mopping his tears with the receipt. <laughs> As for my thoughts on the film, yeah, I'd go along with bits and bobs of what, what everybody said. Peter Cushing's performance for me is like a child's school play version of an old man. Exactly. Because he was only mm -hmm. 52, 53 doing this, but he's playing a very old man. So he's got a little hunch over. He's hobbling along. Mm -hmm. He's uh, thinking by putting his finger on his lips and going, hmm. Oh, yeah. my God, that was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bill Hartnell. That's an impersonation of Hartnell. He does that all yeah. the time. Okay. Yeah. But it's so telegraphed and oh, it's awful. Yeah, and he, he's he's quite a side character as well, isn't he? The leads are pretty mm. much yeah. Ian and Sarah. Which is fine because I, I'm actually more engaged by them in this. And I like Roy Castle's mm. performance. I think it's genuinely yeah. very funny. It feels that way on the show, actually, because Ian and Barbara are, you know, the first companion characters and they are the audience's intro into the world of Doctor Who. So yeah. you, you do get a lot, especially in that early season of Ian kind of being the lead. And again, that's because Bill was just too old to do the action stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's weird. Uh, in a, in a one-off, we presumably thought they would never make another one at this point. That they they put the eponymous character in the background. 
Yeah. Just as more of a fan of the modern era since Russell T. Davis revived it with Christopher Eccleston. Mm. Just the little changes from the show found really jarring, like calling it TARDIS instead of the TARDIS. Really yeah. grated on me every time. Let's go to TARDIS. Yeah. Like it's the hardest dickheads that again is, <laughs> is from that first set of episodes because mm. susan as a teenager in the show she calls it tardis not the tardis and she claims to have made up the name but they hadn't come up with a lot of the lore of the show yet yeah. like the doctor was still a human they hadn't invented the two hearts or gallifrey or regeneration or any of that at that point i like all all the lore uh so to have that stripped away and to yeah. have him be called Doctor Who instead of the Doctor, um, yeah. TARDIS instead of the TARDIS, I found very jarring. Yeah. The sets I really liked, they're what I would have hoped something like Flash Gordon would have been. Yeah. Although I thoroughly disliked the TARDIS interior. Yeah, that's just a jumble of wires, isn't it? It was like a mess. Yeah. Everything just looked like a massive soundstage. I think the wide shots didn't work at all. When they're a bit tighter in, you could get away with it, but all the wide shots of the planet, it looked exactly like a, a soundstage. That's what I liked about it, how artificial it looked. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> There's something textural about it that feels like you could actually yeah. touch it because it's clearly real, no matter how shoddy. Right. Rather than CG. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's that sci-fi movie with Leslie Nielsen and the robot? Ooh, Forbidden Planet? Yeah, that kind of kicks off that uh, aesthetic of the sci-fi movies of that era. They all look like they are movies. They look like they're on a soundstage, but that's kind of part of the appeal of them for me. Star Trek, the right. original series, always looks like that as well. You know, it's all, all in this kind of gaudy technicolor and everything's like filmed in the same quarry. And that's Doctor Who as well later on. So I always kind of like that. Right. And I think that's just about enough to wrap my thoughts up. No. Yeah, everyone's tired of them. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we move on to our favourite scenes slash sequences? I'm going to start with Adam, please. Well... My favourite scene is a totally random bit. It's the fall. They seem to be like this nomadic race of people, but they're sort of more advanced in some ways than the Daleks, yet they're scratching a living from farmland. But they've managed to produce this super-duper radioactive drug, anti-radioactive drug. And yet when they go and pick up their food, what are they using? Just wicker baskets. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> they haven't got like a little shuttle or a little, you know, space trolley or something like that. And I was like, what are they carrying wicker baskets for? <laughs> Honestly, I doubled up at that point. <laughs> well, we still use wicker baskets. I've got a little one that I put bread in on the table. Yeah, but you're the kind of person who would wear wicker shoes, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. You'd wear clogs. <laughs> I've been wearing wicker underpants for the past few months. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Let's move on to Ben's favourite scene or sequence, if he has one. Uh, he doesn't really. <laughs> End credits? He liked the bit where Barbara has shit in her hand. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> and then there's a bit where someone throws a spool of rope at a Dalek, and I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> and then finally, at the end, why did they film saying goodbye so many times? 
Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Fucking hell. It was rivaling the Lord of the Rings, the amount of times of saying goodbye. Yeah, but nowhere near as enjoyable. Just polite, isn't it? Good old British politeness. Yeah, but you didn't need to film it for five minutes. (laughs) It's the equivalent of Tommy Wiseau shooting everybody leaving the party. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I thought of when it was happening. Mine is because it's a constant of certainly the new series and I assume the classic series, the iconic sequence of a new companion walking into the TARDIS for the first time, eyes bulging, coming back out of the TARDIS, walking around it, going, what? And then going back in. (laughs) It's, It's always a doozy for me, that one. And I'm particularly hopeful in the new series with Ashuti Gatwa as the Doctor that they'll finally do that in a wanna like Russell T. Davis has wanted to do for the last 20 years. Get it all done in a wanna That would be quite impressive. Yeah. They've done some impressive versions of it. In the Day of the Doctor 50th anniversary one, Clara rides a motorbike into through the open doors of the TARDIS and it follows her into the set. That was really good. Yeah. It's funny you should say that because I was going to cite that as my least favourite scene in the film just because <laughs> Roy Castle's response to it is far too wet. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't give it enough gusto. He should be going in there losing his fucking mind. What the? What the? Yeah. <laughs> that's what That's what I didn't like about it. I thought, oh, he's just doing his Stan Laurel bit again. His shtick. I liked the, him walking around the outside. I thought that was cool. Although it is slightly mm. weird that that's all this prop lights up from the inside so you can see through the windows that there's nothing in there (laughs) i do like seeing that scene on the show whenever it pops up but my favorite moment also contains my favorite line of dialogue when doctor who he realizes that the thals are not going to fight against the daleks and he manipulates them into doing so which is a feature of the doctor that i really love i think it's because when we were growing up watching it, our doctor was Sylvester McCoy, and I didn't really realize mm. this at the time, but people talk about it now, that he was becoming a quite a sinister character and that he was very manipulative with Ace. And this is a great early example of that. He goads one of the Thals into fighting back, and the line is, Young man, do you know why the Daleks held us as prisoners? They wanted to experiment on us. Perhaps if we gave them one of your people instead, they might return the piece of equipment they took from me. And then he gives Ian the wink and they pretend to take his girlfriend to the Daleks and that's when he... Big flouncing punch on him. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's really subtle, the wink as well. It's really well played. <laughs> Playing to the cheap seats. <laughs> I could hear it. That's how big it was. <laughs> A particularly moist eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear Ben's favourite line. I'm sure he's got many to choose from. Well, we already mentioned the finger to the chin. That was probably one of my favorite. <laughs> my other favorite was the fowls. The Daleks say that they're going to leave food for them in the sea. And one of the fowls says, there's no reason not to believe their good intentions. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't they wipe out the planet previously? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're very trusting people, the fowl. <laughs> yeah, considering they're incredible chemists, they're very naive. <laughs> naive chemists, that's what they are. Well, I've got a theory about that that you might hear later on. Right, row. Oh. Okay, Adam, let's have your favourite line. When they're going through the swamps and it's combined with a like a, a weird move, they're going to check out a, a noise or something they hear when they're coming back. And one of the Thals 
just goes to Roy Castle. You pulls out a knife, points it at him. Come with me, and then they just go off. And it was like he's not even <laughs> his prisoner or a threat to him. He's like his ally, and he just pulls out a knife, points at him. Come with me. <laughs> goes on. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Crackers. They just have different customs from us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> different custard. <laughs> it's so thick and has such a skin on it that you need your custard knife if you're going to try and penetrate it. <laughs> you said not to trifle with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favourite line is just because of what I added onto it and I made myself chuckle. <laughs> when the Daleks have imprisoned Doctor Who and Ian in the cell, and they're getting ready to just jump on the Dalek and immediately overpower it. He's stood by the door, Roy Castle, like doing stretches, like comedy stretches, blocking the way so the Dalek can't get through. And the Dalek goes, move away from the door. And I just instantly added on, you fucking bell end. <laughs> <laughs> In Doctor Who and the Daleks, the titular Daleks tried to procure the formula for a cure to the radiation poisoning that has consumed their planet thanks to their war against the Thals. Not only do they seek the Thal formula, but they plan to wipe them off the face of Skaro once they are able to shed their metal casings and leave their home city. Their method of doing so? A sneaky food trade with the golden-skinned good guys followed by a swift neutron bombing. Those bad sods. But what did our panel think of this plan? And let's begin with the broccoli scale and Ben. Absolutely shocking plan. <laughs> I mean, they do get their hands on the medicine and they test it, don't they? But it goes haywire for them, which is why they decide to just neutron bomb the planet. They think, fuck that, we're not getting out of here, so let's just make the atmosphere even more poisonous for them because we've got these protective casings. I had to hear about their plans in length. It was like I was at every planning meeting in Staccato, (laughs) so that wasn't very nice either. I just think they could have come up with something better if they wanted to rule the planet. I don't know how many hundreds of years they've been waiting. Like They said their people have evolved. I think the Thals talk about their ancestors with the original bombing, right, the original war. So it must have been hundreds, if not thousands of years. Daleks have just been sitting there doing fuck all, and then suddenly they decide to neutron bomb the planet. For me, they get no broccoli. They get no fucking broccoli whatsoever. <laughs> well, they've already grown their own broccoli, so they don't need it. <laughs> yeah, it might be like a leftover little, what do, what do you call that bit of a floret? Just a little leafy yeah. leafy bit of a floret? Yeah, yeah. They can have that. Broccoli they leaf. They don't, they're not going to full floret from me. Okay. Poor Daleks. I've given them all of my good advice. (laughs) Let's hear from Adam. Like I said before, their plan relies on the Thal being naive chemists. And that's about it. So, yeah, pretty shoddy. Let's hear from Craig. (laughs) Well, I guess I can forgive everybody for not paying attention to this, but I mean, the Daleks were not aware of the persistence of the Thal until Doctor Who and his companions showed up and made them aware that there was life outside of their city. It's not like they were sitting there waiting to conquer it. They just 
learn about them and, and then they want to wipe out the rest of them. So I think their plan to lure them in with food is not a bad one. It obviously does work to an extent. I think they give their hostile game away too mm. quickly. Obviously, they are just filled with hate. It's difficult to pull off a, a plan where you're convincing somebody you want to help them when you've already displayed that you are awful. You've got to give them something more enticing than food. And well, we'll talk more about that shortly. Oh, here we go. Here we go. It's just laying the breadcrumbs. You're like a modern day Hansel Gretel, aren't you? Exactly. I'd go along with basically what Craig said there. It's a decent plan, but they, they tip their hand far too soon. It's reminded me of, of a shot that I really liked with the three doors opening simultaneously and the Daleks all come out to be like, ha, I tricked you. But again, it, yeah. it's too soon. Yeah. They're, they're not even inside the city, are they? They just run straight back into the forest. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not uh, not very well executed on the Daleks no. part there. But mm-hmm. besides that, yeah, it's, it's got the makings of a good plan. Really? Yeah. I think, I think you'll find it okay. hard when you hear my plan. I think you'll find it hard. <laughs> yeah. Why'd you neck in? Imagine, by the way, trying to find your way back out of a forest with a train of fucking breadcrumbs. You'd be like looking at the floor and it'd be all like mud and shit and leaves on the floor. And you'd be like, right, let's follow the trail of breadcrumbs uh, after you. And Gretel would be like, where are they? <laughs> just dropping a whole slice of bread every couple of steps. There you go. <laughs> then you just see a squirrel eating the bread and you like look at it and there's like some birds behind it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shit plan. <laughs> now, before we go any goddamn further, we'd like to thank you for listening to our show so far. Here, have a jelly bag. Though do remember, if you like what you hear each week, please subscribe, leave us a written review and follow us on Apple Podcasts if you're able. It's the best platform to help us grow the podcast and you are an important part of that process. If you aren't on Apple, rate us on your provider of choice and follow us on socials at DiabolicalPod. Alonzi! Now we come to the part of the show where the panel of peril compete for precious peril points on the perilous leaderboard. Each member gets one vote, which will equal one point on the board. But do remember, you cannot vote for yourselves, you saucy babies. Our task this week is to destroy the thull and get the anti-radiation formula. So, let's do And Let's start with Adam. Can we exterminate the fall? Their science is super califragilistic XP aladocious. Well, now I think I have a plan. Whispers a cheeky little scamp of a Dalek to his mate. <laughs> the Daleks summon the doctor and his companions to their control room and they explain they've had a change of heart. And to show they're serious, they have removed their old leader and their lethal weapon slash death ray to replace them with something completely harmless. 
Very odd, but harmless. As the Doctor and friends look at each other quizzically, they shrug their shoulders. How can the Daleks pose a threat now? The new Daleks leader, Neck, tells the Doctor, if he is satisfied, they will form the welcome party for the Thal. Outside, the Daleks leave some hampers of hot cross buns and carrot cake as a peace offering for the Thal. Suspecting poison, the Thal check it with a wicker device of some kind. <laughs> it's clean! <laughs> as the Thal greedily scoff the baked goods, they find a note. It reads, Like the Scran, we have loads more inside, and that little kid that waved at you earlier will meet you at the front door with a mad granddad. P.S. We're totally serious and want peace, and hopefully... We negotiate so we could all live in happiness and clean up this shitty planet. Signed, Neck. Not having died from poisoning, the Thal move inside and are indeed met by the little girl, Doctor, and the two other plebs who also seem convinced of the Daleks' good <laughs> intentions. As they walk into the conference room, the Daleks have formed lines either side of the long room and at the far end have set up a large buffet including volivons, which, as we know, are impossible to resist. As the Thal filter into the room and exchange greeting with the Daleks, the Thal notice the implement that has replaced the Dalek death ray, a long tube covered in multicoloured feathers? How bizarre! One of the Thal reaches out to touch the strange device and giggles as they brush their hand over it. Exclaims Dalek leader Neck as the last of the Thal enter the room and the doors silently close behind them. How tickled I am, Royce Castle's character eyes widen in recognition of that phrase. Surely not the king of Naughty Ash, Ken Dodd. <laughs> At that moment, the feathered implements begin to spin and swoosh around some splitting into multiple instruments to sweep up and down as the Daleks close in on the Thal from all sides and encircle them. As they make contact, the Thal begin to giggle, then laugh uncontrollably. <laughs> Give us the anti-radiation formula and the tickling will stop, <laughs> shouts Dalek Ken Dodd as some Thal and the Doctors soil themselves from being tickled excessively. We'll tell! We'll tell, shouts the Thal leader between laughter and farting. <laughs> he slides a Dalek Ken Dodd some of the real medicine and is dragged off to a lab to help them create a better one than the one that made that other Dalek go mad. As the Daleks retreat, the remaining Thal, Doctor and co, lie on the floor recovering from a brutal tickling. Then, without warning, the floor where they lie turns into a trapdoor. <laughs> And they all fall into a pit of lava. The end. <laughs> Ken Dodd's actually been in Doctor Who, hasn't he? Yeah, years ago. I was thinking of their weapons and then I thought, what's a pretty harmless instrument they could replace it with that nobody's going to suspect? And I thought, so feather duster. With a feather duster. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, and I thought, oh, oh Doddy, he's, he's been in Doctor Who before. Maybe I'll give him another outing. <laughs> <laughs> it could just be boiled down to the pit of lava, really, couldn't it? 
just drop him into a pit of lava. <laughs> well, they've got to get him going to surrender the formula and stuff first. That was the main thing, because otherwise, if they just dump him into to there, because one of the goals was to get the formula, then then get rid of him, wasn't yeah. it? So I couldn't thought. I, I thought, well, if they get rid of him first, then they kind of failed on the second, well, the first mm. uh, bit already, haven't they? So yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, okay. let's get him in, torture them with feather dusters, and then uh, let Ken Dodd hatch his evil plan. Yeah, then dispose of them in a, a suitably devilish way. Lava. <laughs> There's a certain subset of people who derive a kind of sexual pleasure from tickling. And I reckon Roy Castle was one of them nailed on. <laughs> Maybe Peter Cushing, but definitely Roy Castle. I would say to that, a few times it would be quite pleasurable, but then if you keep doing it over and over again, I think it would probably be uh, probably quite annoying, as bad as being as shitting yourself, I would say. Bad as shitting yourself. <laughs> I mean, having itchy essence isn't going to make it any less stressful to fight back against the tickling, is it? So if anything's going to be worse. <laughs> if you do go on too long, I do know a guy who claimed to have pleased himself 17 times in one day and he had a headache for like three days after it, so... I'm not surprised. Told you that in confidence. <laughs> <laughs> so if you feather dust him for long enough... It's going to cause, at very least, a headache. Yeah, but you have a nice, clean <laughs> bottom hole. <laughs> Swings and roundabouts. There was no mention of any, any genitals involved in this, you dirty buggers. <laughs> <laughs> then let's move on to Ben's plan. Having seen Doctor Who and his clumsy but brave group engineer a crafty escape, the Daleks realise the Earthlings are not a threat to be taken lightly. So this time, when the Doctor returns to the metallic stronghold and is captured, as in the film, the Daleks lead him and little Susan to the control room. One of the Daleks separates the girl from her grandfather, while two of the grabber types take a firm grip of the old man and pin him against a wall. His feeble, frail body is no match for their electro-power. The sound of chilling mechanical laughter rises above the whirl of machinery. <laughs> the black Dalek, complete with resplendent plunger appendage, approaches. Showing remarkable foresight for such a doddering old turd, Doctor Who begs, <laughs> No, please, don't! But it's too late. The vicious plunger is already thrusting toward him. There is a dull thud of rubber on bone as it connects. Susan's screams do nothing to deter the Black Dalek, who sets his plunger to auto-thrust. Blow after blow rains down on the Doctor as his face begins to discolour and distort. <laughs> thump, 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 Christ. thump, thump. Jesus Christ. Thump, <laughs> thump, thump. <laughs> Doctor Who... His sagging head, now a purple beehive, is unrecognisable, held up only by the two mechanical fiends gripping his lapels. Thump, 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 thump. When the high-powered piston has dealt its final blow, the grip has released the doctor who drops to the floor lifeless. One of the Daleks opens its hatch just long enough to peer out and spit on the disfigured corpse. <laughs> when Ian and the rescue party arrive, they freeze, appreciating for the first time the true threat of the Daleks. 
Without the doctor to instruct them how to stop the countdown, the bomb obliterates the humans and Thals, leaving the Daleks to rule supreme. So they don't get the formula. They already had it by that point in the film, right? Uh, I see. When they're doing the countdown, the, the Daleks have already gone mad, and that's when they, after testing the formula, and that's when they decide to use a neutron bomb, right? Mm. Uh, I see. Well, I don't suppose you can argue too much with getting battered to death. Yeah, graphically beat an old man's face to a pulp. Mm. Fuck it, yeah. I'd have loved to see that. It'd have made a much better <laughs> film. So that's enough crime stoppers, isn't it? <laughs> Anything else for Ben? <laughs> I mean, I haven't really got any challenges to the logic of it. I just found it deeply unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the film did to me. Blame the best, the best, the best for that. <laughs> he chose the film. Well, then let's move on to Craig's plan. The Daleks beat Doctor Who to death. Punch, punch. <laughs> <laughs> you got my vote. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Here's the real one. Hey, there's all kinds of controls in here, notes Ian as he mugs and gurns inside the Dalek casing, invisible to his companions who are unable to see him through the grim facade. You see, those tyrannical pepper pots are merely the conveyance of the actual Daleks, personal tanks that house the tentacled mutant forms of the erstwhile Khaled race. Once the mighty Daleks get a load of the petrified, tree-hugging, troglodyte Thals, looking like they've just minced out of a prehistoric whore's boudoir, <laughs> they're baffled as to how these low-tech losers could have possibly synthesised the anti-radiation drugs that have so desperately eluded the top squid scientists of the Citadel these many cycles. They assume it's some kind of fluke, a naturally occurring substance these hippies have harnessed simply by virtue of living outdoors. What's clear is they don't have any cool technology. No Walkmans, no Nintendos, no freaking VCRs, and certainly no sweet rides. So the clever Daleks offer their foes an exchange they cannot refuse. Share the secret of their healing tincture, and in return, they shall be furnished with their own bitching little hover chairs. The Thals soon learn the twist of the monkey's paw. The movement of these sick dodgems is confined to the limits of the city walls. At first, they're only mildly annoyed, but over time they grow restless. By the time they grow salty about their pepper pots, it's too late. They've grown obese and lazy, unable to extricate themselves from the casings, stuck like a fat finger in a once snug wedding ring, sterile <laughs> and unable to copulate, the Thals eventually die out and the Daleks reign supreme. <laughs> so they've kind of turned them into alien pandas. You kind of like the people on the by and large ship in Wally, -E, mm. if the chairs didn't grow with them. How many Thals would you say there are? Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, we didn't count them. <laughs> For about eleven. <laughs> That's why they need a neutron bomb to take out the eleven Thals. <laughs> <laughs> 11 megaton neutron bomb. One megaton for each thaw. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that answer, I must say. Let's look at the cast list. I don't know, it was about 11. I'm not sure. 
all we saw of the Dalek City is it's not that big. It's like four corridors and a control yeah. room. Right? And maybe eight or nine Daleks, yeah. Can you imagine the fucking traffic of all these Daleks just fucking bundling around those four corridors? <laughs> That's what I mean. There's only eight or nine Daleks. Yeah, that's what I mean. And then there's 11 Thals. There's already a lot. What you've got there is reused sets. If you actually look at the scale of the Citadel compared to the people from outside, it is vast. It's just that... No, it's not. It is. It's tiny. When they stand next to it, Peter Cushing's almost as tall as the fucker. (laughs) Even with a hunchback. (laughs) I mean, that's that's not true. (laughs) Peter Cushing is very close. Look at my size of my finger. It's going to be massive. (laughs) It's absolutely huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute. No, it's not. Oh. Oh. Those cows are far away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when they get to the doors, when they first go in, that's like one door on one side of the Citadel. Yeah, there's three doors in. No, there's three on that bit that they go to, but around the side of it, it's like vast. It's the Caesar's Palace of that particular planet. It's, it's massive. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's more than enough room for them to enjoy at least a few months. So there wouldn't be traffic jams? No, not traffic jams. Okay. At least a few months of eating and being inside those chairs and going, oh, this is sick. Until one day they're like, I can't get out. <laughs> and the Daleks are like, oh, yeah. Who's tidying up after the Thals? Is it the Daleks tidying up as well? They've got like Dalek housekeepers and stuff. They, no. So the Thals double as Roombas. They don't know that they do. <laughs> but while they're driving around the citadel having fun they're also tidying the citadel <laughs> at the same time they defecate and urinate inside their own dialect cases oh, and it just falls out the back <laughs> and then the next one around the corner cleans it up <laughs> have you ever seen a dog turd get caught in a rumba oh, oh god have i no <laughs> it's not pleasant okay i'm gonna move on to my plan The Daleks are actually on the right track when they decide to lure the Thal into the city under the pretense of exchanging their formula for some food. But they haven't gussied up the Enterprise enough and added a truly killer touch. Firstly, they need to get some of the lower-ranking Daleks, the blue drone ones, to set up some nice tables complete with lovely flowery tablecloths and various plates of foodstuffs, complete with descriptive labels, including any allergen information. Your gluten, egg, your nuts, and these nuts, of course. When the Thal <laughs> arrive with their gormless smiles and Ziggy Stardust eye makeup, the Daleks will make nice. Try the Battenberg, one might say. <laughs> Only one, mind you. Would you like a cucumber sarnie? Another would definitely say. The Thal are charmed and basically are unable to comprehend what happens next. Lemonade! The Dalek Supreme asks. (laughs) He's absolutely massive, being the big boss Dalek, and he simultaneously hands a glass to every single Thal, all 11 of them. (laughs) Bottoms up! He intones, and the Thal do, as it would be rude not to, really. Once each and every beverage has been quaffed, the Daleks play their trump card. They unveil the machine used to dispense said lemonade, and the Thal look on in horror at the logo, which reads, Panera. Evignor? Evignor? 
I didn't get the uh, reference, sorry. It's the lemonade that kills you. Some people in America have died from drinking this Panera lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big thing on social media. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, people are like, I want the forbidden lemonade and I should be allowed to try the Panera <laughs> lemonade just once before I die. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Panera specifically, but to make lemonade, you need a specific item, a specific ingredient, if you will. Can you guess what that might be? And it's not AIDS. They've got lemons, surely. Why wouldn't they have lemons? Why wouldn't they have lemons on a planet that's been radiated to dust? Did you see the soil? You made yourself sound right to it now, haven't you? Because they have food in the film. Yeah. You should let me finish before you challenge me, and then, then you could have challenged me after. Not only are they shown to have food in the film, but also Susan identifies the flora on this so-called alien planet. Yeah. So she yeah. knows it's flora from Earth. So the chances are, yes, they have the exact same fruits that we do. And lemons got to be one of the easiest ones to grow. I'd say the burden of proof is on you guys. <laughs> as far as the film goes, there is not a lemon nor a cucumber in sight. <laughs> Where's the cucumber come from? <laughs> you served them cucumber sandwiches. Oh, yes. Yeah. I I remembered. I remembered. I was just being silly. If we're talking yeah. about for whom the burden of proof is on, Doctor Whom, then I, <laughs> I put it to you that you need to beat an old man to death with a plunger and we'll hear the sound of rubber on bone. <laughs> And if you can prove to me that you can beat an old man to death with a plunger, yeah. I will then ask Gaz to prove that he can find a lemon on an uninhabitable, irradiated alien planet. And now, a short commercial break. Coming soon to our TikTok channel, Ben beats an old man to death with a plunger. The <laughs> <laughs> to make it fair, it has to be a 52-year-old man pretending to be an 80-year-old man. And I can't bring my arm back and hit him, like, over the head, as you might. I've got to thrust that in. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That'd take a while, that. You can't do, like, a jab either. You have to move like a Dalek does, so a little bit, <laughs> and then a little bit forward. <laughs> a little bit back. <laughs> <laughs> what I think would happen, I think the man would beat you to death before you get it. <laughs> well, I'm not convinced. Let's put it that way. That's your prerogative. Those plans, if I'm not mistaken, were arse-shittingly diabolical, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> we had Adam's plan, which involved a doddy Dalek tickling the thaw with its feather duster before dropping them into a pit of lava. Ben's plan, which had him plungering the Doctor to death in the face. Craig's plan which involved giving hover chairs to the Thal so that they grew fat and sterile. And my plan, which 
had the Daleks giving the Thal the precious Panera lemonade in order to murder them. But there can be only one or two or three or four people who get points on the board. And with that, if we could all cast our votes, that would be brilliant. See you, Adam. Well, I have voted for the most topical uh, plan uh, because I found it fascinating, and which is the best, the best, the best. And yes. I've employed the Clamver PG <laughs> way of writing the best, the best, the best, either for people who can't say it or won't say it. So, but I've written it and said it. <laughs> Since I took the vote there, I will reveal who I voted for, and I voted for Craig's Wally-esque hover chair plan. Fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> and let's see who Craig voted for. I voted for the plan that I thought had the most imagination and that personally tickled me, and that's Adam. Oh, thank you very much. That's my first ever point on an opening episode. Oh. Wow. He's like Stato, isn't he? He's got all the stats. Yes! I just wanted <laughs> one point. I'm happy now. <laughs> well, he's going to love this because he's going to get his second ever point on the first opening episode because I have also voted for Adam. Because Adam and I went to watch Ken Dodd live for about seven hours. Yes. Yeah. And he wished you a happy 17th birthday, didn't he? He did indeed. Don't know if he meant it though. <laughs> well, as much as we love Ken Dodd, there's got to be, I think, an apology from you three for not voting for me. My plan was the only one that would actually work. <laughs> what you've done is you've just carried on that backlash from the first season. You just won't let it drop, will you? Listen, if you want an apology for your plan being the only one that works, all of you are going to have to apologize to me because during the first season, I took at face value all your little fucking rules that you came up with. Oh, you can only have the the, the same powers as the baddie and all this bollocks that you all completely started ignoring. Plus, for weeks, I just thought we were coming in casual, like, oh, I'll just tell you what my plan is. And you were all writing them down, like in fucking iambic pentameter. <laughs> you can't shackle us with your only powers the villain has rules. But I am going to give you now the opportunity to recast one of your votes. Is anyone? Any takers? <laughs> I mean, it took me ages to write Adam, and I ran out of room, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want you to redo that. <laughs> so, after episode one, the season five leaderboard stands at in the lead with two points is Adam. In joint second place, with a point each, is Craig and the best, the best, the best. And in his traditional place, bringing up the rear with a grand total of zero, <laughs> is Ben. Fucking backlash. Traditional place. Hey, guess what, Ben? You're me from season one. Huh? Guys. You should, uh, you should change your outfit because jealousy is not a good look on you. <laughs>
that will do us for another dose of the truly diabolic. But we shall return next week for another lethal dose of radiation slash podcasting with Craig's choice of film. If you would be so kind as to reveal that film that you have selected, please. It's a doozy. It's one of the biggies. It's Ghostbusters. The original. Rejoice. Well, there you have it. Join us next week as we discuss childhood favourites, Ghostbusters. Until then, remember, everything will be alright in the end, and if it isn't alright, then it isn't the end. Slash, well, that's alright then. Goodbye. Hello and welcome to this week's pod. And the first episode of season five, where in my best, oh, my best, that's it. Ah, it's starting again now. Good. Still <laughs> <laughs> so going tits up. When you're walking down the street and you see a little ghost, who are you going to call? <laughs> Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs>